Greetings from the Pumpkin Patch and welcome Halloweeniacs to the Jack-O-Lantern Press Podcast where we discuss monsters and Halloween. My name is Michael Piccarella. And my name's Tom Piccarella. It's Monster Monday when Tom and I briefly profile a monster of the week. This Monday's monster, Dracula. Well, we've played it before, and we're going to play it again. (laughs) Those were the sounds of Count Dracula and his victim from the 1974 record album, Sounds to Make You Shiver. And this is our 50th episode, so we decided we needed to do a classic monster, the one Transylvanians put in the Fright House at 1666 Transylvania Avenue in the nation's capital. Yep. Transylvania President Count Dracula. Well, first off, the crazy part is is that we actually have 50 episodes. The other crazy thing is that when we listen to that, we've already brought this up, but I don't know what the heck they were thinking <laughs> uh, when they recorded that, but it just doesn't even sound right. It, it, it sounds completely wrong. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, people listening to that, they probably don't even think anything of it. They're probably just like, oh, yeah, it's some some guy going after. But, I mean, we've listened to that thing so many times that it, yeah, it gets the funny to the thing point is, where you're like, what what were they thinking when they when they recorded that? They had to have been they had to have been cracking up in between takes. Or, I don't know if there even was more than one take. But the funny thing is that in our haunted houses, we were probably playing that out the window. <laughs> But yeah, there's we all were, these parents with their kids with that thing going on. Yeah, <laughs> people are like, "What in the heck is Crazy. going on in there?" But yeah, Dracula. I think uh, this should be a fun episode. Uh, Dracula is definitely a monster that I've always loved since being a kid. It just seemed like a Halloween staple, a monster staple. You know, I think about Dad as Dracula and. In our episode that we did with Dad, we talked a little bit about it. I can't remember what episode number that was. It was, but it it says it in the title. Well, Somewhere you know, what's, in, in October. And what's funny about it too is that when we were growing up, I mean, honestly, I only thought that Dracula was Bella Lugosi, and then obviously, as you get older, and you start looking into other movies and other things, you know, that's when other versions of Dracula have come up and then and then you get to make a decision as to which one you like the best and we'll go into that later on in the show but I'm going to tell you that that uh there's some interesting things out there as far as Dracula's go and I bet everybody has their own version of which one they like the best I mean I still think no matter what uh the end result is Bela Lugosi will always go down to be you know the iconic Dracula, uh, whether we like a different a different one or not. I mean, he he's the one who kind of set the bar. Um, yeah, and and in our one of our episodes, I think we actually stated who was our favorite Dracula. 
Mine always kind of goes back and forth, but yeah, when we get to that toward the end of the show, I will uh, I will share who I currently think is my favorite Dracula, but I don't know. There's something about Dracula that's really cool. It was almost like he, I always saw him as kind of the leader of the monsters, and maybe that's because of seeing 1948's Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, or even 1987's The Monster Squad. Dracula was always kind of the leader, you know, leading the monsters or, you know, in some scheme or something. Uh, It just seemed like it would work probably story-wise because he could talk, whereas like Frankenstein's monster can't talk, the mummy can't talk. Well, I guess the mummy did talk in the movie, but not as the actual, you know, mummy mummy. But, uh, but yeah, uh, definitely a cool monster and, um, you know, it's he's one of the main monsters in our book, Transylvania Traveler, which you can get at jackolanternpress.com. But let's get into some of the history of Dracula. <laughs> so, as some may know, Dracula is an actual, or was an actual person. According to infoplease.com, Vlad, or Dracula, was born in 1431 in Transylvania into a noble family. His father was called Dracul, meaning dragon or devil in Romanian because he belonged to the Order of the Dragon, which fought the Muslim Ottoman Empire. Dracula means son of Dracul in Romanian. As for the Dracula that we know as a monster made popular by Bram Stoker, according to the 1992 film uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the title character returns from a victory against the Turks to find that his wife, Elisabetta, committed suicide after his enemies falsely reported his death. The priest proceeds to tell him that his wife's soul is damned to hell for committing suicide. Enraged, uh, Drac desecrates the chapel and renounces God, declaring that he will rise from the grave to avenge Elisabetta, Betta, Elisabetta, I can't remember how they pronounce it in the film, uh, with all the powers of darkness. He then stabs the chapel's stone cross with his sword and drinks the blood that pours out of it. So, unless you want to be a vampire... I wouldn't be going around stabbing any chapel stone crosses to the bloody death and then drinking its blood. Now, (laughs) in the 2014 movie Dracula Untold, which which I was telling you about, Tom, earlier, that I recently saw, uh, I think it was last week, maybe right after we finished our last Monster Monday, there's a newer story about the origins of Dracula. So, Drac, pre-vampire makes a deal with an inhumanly strong and fast humanoid creature, a vampire, to adopt vampire superpowers for three days so he can try to stop an all-powerful enemy and save his family and his people. And if he can resist drinking blood in those three days, he'll go back to being human. But if he partakes in the warm sustenance, which... You know, it looks like it's hard to do because you have like an urge to drink blood. Then he will become a vampire for eternity. So from there, as you can imagine, conflict ensues. Now, 
this movie is not a horror movie. So it's not it's not like a gore fest. It's not scary or anything like that. But people hated this movie, or a lot of people did. And I was looking at some of the reviews, and people were like, well, the villain was weak. It's like, okay, well, to me, though, I didn't care about the villain. I cared about his vampire dilemma, you know, whether he could whether he was going to become a vampire forever or uh, whether he was going to revert to his human form, like whether he should even do it or not. Like that to me was way more interesting than some super villain, which I think if if they did that, it, the movie would have been totally trashier for it. It was already bad enough. Like I won't say what happens in the movie, but there's this thing with Silver at the end, which tried to make the villain stronger and it was kind of stupid. Um, so I think they, just his dilemma was good enough. Uh, then someone actually complained about the historical accuracy. It's like, really, really dude, you're going into this movie looking for historical accuracy. Yeah. Why, why would you even do that? It's It's so so stupid. (laughs) That's all fake regardless. So yeah, I mean, mean, at the end of the day, it's a movie. I've never seen the movie and and I, I probably will watch it just just to to watch it. It's uh, worth I, I've never seeing. Seen it. You just have to go into it. No, like it's Universal's answer to the Marvel universe. They were trying to, and and I know they failed when they did the Mummy, but this movie you could definitely tell they were trying to to do a superhero movie. But then there were complaints about the narration. And it's like, it's mere minutes. There's like some, a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end. And then some people complained about some of the ridiculous rules of the film. It's like, it's a popcorn superhero movie about vampires. Like, what are you looking for? Uh, some people said the battle scenes were over edited and totally Hollywood. Yeah, but uh, that's what this is. <laughs> it's a Hollywood popcorn movie. Yeah, so, I've. Uh, number one, it's a it's a popcorn Hollywood movie. Number two, if they're in some sort of competition with Marvel and action figure or or superhero type things, and the, and and Universal was trying to make it into uh, like a, a a monster superhero thing, then they probably hit it right on the nail. It just didn't take. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think kind of like the Mummy. I think people wanted it to be. A monster movie if it was if this this was not the the monster story that i would want about dracula but did i enjoy it heck yeah i thought it was an interesting take on it and it's definitely worth seeing i'll probably never watch it again maybe i will i don't know but i thought it was fun for what it was and it's definitely worth checking out and it's a cool little origin story about dracula you know i so, i honestly wish with all the remakes that they're starting to do right now in movies in general, not just the horror-specific things, but just movies in general, I don't know why they just won't go back to some of these classic monsters and start remaking them, but in a more classic sort of setting. Yeah, just to get people to watch them. Because a lot of people, they don't want to watch them because they're old, they're black and white, you know, maybe the acting's kind of cheesy. If you just go back... And make the movies for what they are. I don't know. Give it a shot anyway. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, people are always going to go back to the originals that are the hardcore people. But I do think that with the effects that are out right now, as long as they kind of stay true to, to the plot, 
if they were to to stay true to it and Straight, then stay true to the tone yeah they stay true I, I to think the tone none of the, none of the stories you know were so breathtaking anyways on any of these horror movies i mean it was just a monster there was nothing that you you know I've ever seen where it's like, oh yeah, dude, the story was the greatest or the acting was the greatest. I mean, let's face it, dude, they're monster movies. It, you're you're watching it for the pure aspect of the monster. Yeah, a cool uh, monster, some some great atmosphere, spooky tone. Like that's the kind. That's what we're looking for. I think. Yeah. Like, they just don't want to do it. But anyway, yeah. so just to wrap up my little bit here, I have some fun facts about Dracula. Um, according to this 2015 article by Joy Lanzendorfer called 10 Blood-Curdling Facts About Dracula from MentalFloss.com, Dracula allegedly came from a nightmare. So according to this thing, it says Bram Stoker had some bad seafood. <laughs> um, and I guess <laughs> biographer Harry Ludlum... Um, said that Bram Stoker was compelled to to pen the tale after dreaming of a vampire king rising from the tomb following a helping of dressed crab at supper. While the fair might not have actually had anything to do with what he dreamt that night, Stoker's private working notes show him revisiting the frightening vision. In March 1890, he wrote... Young man goes out, sees girls. One tries to kiss him, not on the lips, but the throat. Old count interferes, rage and fury diabolical. This man belongs to me, I want him. Whether this is the actual nightmare or the beginning of Jonathan Harker's story is unclear, but Stoker returned to that dream re repeatedly while writing the book. Um, in that same article, which we'll link in the show notes, uh, because there's there's a bunch of stuff. I'm not going to go through all of it. But it says that Stoker began Dracula in 1890, two years after Jack the Ripper terrorized London. The lurid atmosphere these crimes produced made their way into Stoker's novel, which was confirmed in the 1901 preface to the Icelandic edition of Dracula. Stoker's reference links the two frightening figures in such a way that raises more questions than provides answers, but no doubt confirms the terrifying real-life influence of his fictional world. Some other fun facts. Dracula might be based on Stoker's horrible boss of almost 30 years, a man named Henry Irving. Uh, Stoker never visited Transylvania. Instead, he researched the setting as best as he could and imagined the rest. Most of his Victorian readers didn't know the difference, especially since he added details from travel books, including train timetables, hotel names, and a chicken dish called Paprika Hendel. Uh, and then hmm. last but not least, Dracula's castle was reportedly based on Slane's castle in Scotland as the model. Stoker spent uh, many summers in nearby Cruden Bay and was familiar with the surrounding sites, including these castle ruins on a hill. He was even staying in the area when he wrote his description of a vast ruined castle from whose tall black windows came no ray of light and whose broken batter battlements showed a jagged line against the sky. So again, we'll, we'll put uh, 
the link to this article in the show notes so you could check out some of the other stuff. But that that's what I got. So I might bounce all over the place here because I, I do have a lot of content. But the, the first thing I want to bring up, because I usually go into powers and abilities and whatnot, and I'm going to go to our book and read uh, a biography about Dracula from the Carpathian Mountains. Um, oh, nice. Just so you guys know, if you haven't read our book, which, I mean, you should have by now, uh, but if you haven't, our, our book is broken out into several different sections. Uh, obviously, we have 13 deadly districts. One of the districts being the Carpathian Mountains where Dracula lives. Um, and then we always have at the beginning of every district, we have a section that says, Take me to your leader. And of course, the Carpathian Mountains is where Dracula is. So in this, in this section, we got some likes. Uh, some of his likes are obviously blood. Uh, taking over humans' minds, you know, a bunch of brides. He likes supply, lots of uh, a blood supply, which I had mentioned already. He, uh, let's see, what else? He likes uh, freezing cold ice cream, which is pretty much the norm for all vampires. Uh, some of his dislikes <laughs> are sunlight, holy water, wooden stakes, garlic, unless he's feeling daring or reckless. The sign of the cross, meddlers getting in his way which usually always happens in pretty much every movie. Yeah, you got to have meddlers. And then, of course, melted ice cream, because obviously if he likes ice cream, he's not going to like melted ice cream. Uh, Some of his characteristics, uh, he's always dressed in a suit with a cape. He has a closet full of the same wardrobe, though he never changes... So it, everything that he has basically smells like it's it's warm warmed over like death basically. He has a cape with red lining made of the finest material in the world. His shoes are always polished, and he wears a white shirt ironed to perfection. And obviously, he also has uh you know vampire fangs. He can change into a bat, a green mist, a wolf. And into a real jerk if you argue with him about anything he knows <laughs> he's right about. <clears throat> and uh, obviously his purpose is to lead the fellow monsters as as Mike stated earlier. He has been the Transylvania president for I think the beginning of time. Um, some of his, his, uh, his powers and abilities. I mean he's basically immortal. Uh, I don't know of anything that actually can kill him, because even if you drive a stake into his heart, uh, he just comes back to life. Yeah, he usually, it's, but, yeah, it's like you look at uh, House of Frankenstein, all you had to do was take the stake out, and it, that was in a skeleton, and all of a sudden, he came to life. Yeah, I, I so uh. he can't die. He can't <laughs> die. So it, no matter what you... What you do, you could probably nuke him, and he'll figure out a way of coming back. Yes. <laughs> the one thing that I did want to bring up, which I I wanted to kind of get outside of the, you know, more of the classic stuff, get into some of the stuff that, you know, I sort of like, which, you know, I, I always bring up Dungeons and & Dragons and different types of board games and, and whatnot. But I did want to bring up, once again, the book of Dungeons & Dragons uh, for Young Adventurer's Guide. These books are so neat. But I wanted to bring this up. This is written by Jim Zub with Stacy King and Andrew Wheeler. And what I thought was cool in this Tombs and Dungeons but or in Dungeons and Tombs book is that they had a a castle setting in here called Ravenloft. 
And it reminds me so much of the castle in the Dracula movies because I, I think they obviously, you know, created this whole castle just based off of off of the castle in Dracula, the original movie. But I wanted to read it. So it says, In Baravoya, in Barovia, a place of perpetual night, stands a terrifying castle that protects and imprisons the lord of this land. The citadel is called Ravenloft, and its owner is a powerful magic-wielding vampire named Strahd von Zerovich, which obviously should be Dracula. Ravenloft is an is an opulent old castle adorned with gothic finery. It's protected by undead creatures including skeletons, ghosts, werewolves, and of course, vampire spawn. Its halls are dim and filled with all manners of curses and traps to ensnare any who dare trespass upon the count's property. Beneath the stronghold are burial chambers and prisons littered with old relics and deranged unliving monstrosities. For as long as Count Strahd has been cursed with undead might, the sun has not risen in in Barovia. I hope I'm saying that right. I don't think I am. And it will stay that way until a group of heroes finds the courage within themselves to fight back against the darkness and stop his reign of terror. This picture is neat. If anybody has a chance to to buy this book, you should get it. Uh, it's got a lot of neat stuff in there. So the other thing I wanted to bring up was another one of these books called uh, Monsters and Creatures. And this kind of goes into more of the vampire sort of, of thing. But it, it talks about some of the stuff we had in our book. Which some of their special powers are charming Uh, So a living victim influenced by this power sees the vampire as a trusted friend, making them open to the creature's creature's suggestions and willing to receive its bite. Another one is shape-shifting. Vampires can transform into a bat, letting them fly while retaining all their mystical powers. A mist. When injured, a vampire converts into a cloud of mist that flees towards its resting place. If a mist vampire reaches its coffin, it can regenerate its physical body. The size is, is the typical size of, a, of, of Count Dracula is the size of a man. And then they're always in some, you know, kind of lair. And with Count Dracula, he's in his castle. And the one thing I was reading about quite extensively on, on even vampires is that because they're undead and they don't want to see the light, they can or they usually need to have their coffin somewhere down beneath, like in a real dark area. And in the original Dracula with Bela Lugosi, that's indeed what what took place. I mean, his coffin was downstairs. Yeah, underneath. doesn't it have to be in his home dirt? Yeah. I don't know if that's true. I can't remember what the deal they were is saying, with the dirt. They were saying something along those lines that it has to be in the place supposedly that you had died. Uh, and then if not, there's some sort of reason as to why I'm sure people could probably go into the craziness of it. But um, Dude, you want to know what? While you were just saying that, I was thinking the green mist thing. It's like that's why you have to put the stake through his heart when he's in his coffin. Because if you put a stake through him anywhere else, he turns into the green mist... 
and he goes back to his resting place, which is his coffin. If you try to blow him up, yeah, he turns into a green mist. It's like you can't do anything to him when he's not in his coffin. So it's like you have to do it in his coffin because if he turns into a green mist, then where can he go? Because he's already in his resting place. So that's really what you would have to do to destroy him. So, however, you could you could get rid of the mist, but I I mean I don't know. I guess he would have to be hurt. He would have to be in a in a stage of regeneration, maybe. And then if you catch him in his coffin, I don't know. I mean it. I I just think he's he's basically immortal, and you can't kill him, especially when he's kind of the king of monsters, so to speak. I mean, some people probably would have, you know a huge discussion about how he's not but i mean let's let's face it dracula is supposed to be the king of all the monsters he's supposed to be the controller of all the monsters and yeah so getting into another subject i wanted to bring up video games that are based uh, on dracula or that have dracula in it Uh, we got the castlevania games we got bram stoker's dracula i guess they made a handheld video game at one point Uh, There's a video game called The Count. Uh, We'll put a link in the show notes, but there's a Wikipedia article that has a ton of different games that were basically created for Dracula. Uh, One uh, that I thought was kind of neat, and it's a a fairly decent game, is called The Incredible Adventures of Van Helsing, which, uh, you know, I, I thought the game was fun, and, you know, it has Dracula in it as well, so... Um, but yeah, check out that list that I have of, of all of those. The next thing I wanted to talk about is a couple of books that I found. Um, and I also found a YouTube video of Sherlock Holmes meeting Dracula and we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but I could tell you right now, the YouTube video uh, is the actual narration. It's kind of like one of those old radio kind of talk shows. But it's it's a Sherlock Holmes mystery about how Sherlock Holmes meets Dracula. And it is neat. So you definitely need to check that out. Plus I found a book on the same the same thing. Um, so it was uh, it's by a, a person called uh, Lauren D. Estelman. And, um, it's, it's, you know, obviously Watson telling the story and, uh, you could, you could get this thing. Uh, there's a hardcover book for $14 and 29 cents. There's a whole bunch of used copies of this book for like a dollar 79. I have not read it, but now that I found it, I'm more than likely going to get this and read it because I'm obsessed with Sherlock Holmes. And just to kind of couple that in with monsters, I, I I never thought they would actually make something like this, but I I was really excited to to not only see the book, but then to also hear, uh, sort of the rendition of, of what they did on, uh, YouTube, um, and I'm sure you could probably find it somewhere else, but I you could listen to it. It's really neat. Um, there was also another thing on best best books for Goodreads for Dracula. There's 157 books about Dracula that are on goodreads.com that I found. And I, I cannot believe there are that many renditions of, Dude, there's of like, the story about there's Dracula. There's like prob- 
I was looking at a Wikipedia page for just Dracula the character and they were they had like a screen portrayals thing and there's like probably a hundred movies slash TV shows in there with Dracula in it. I mean, yeah, that is that's crazy. not even talking about vampire. If you look at vampire things, I mean, that could probably, that's endless. Yeah, I'm, anything with vampires in it, I mean, you could go for days on it. It's in every single game, every single thing that you could possibly even, you know, come across. It's like zombies, you know. There's so many zombies and so many vampires that those are like the, the biggest, uh, you know, kind of monsters out there. So, uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up was toys so i found this 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 group of toys they're diamond select toys by universal monsters and there's one that that came out and it's on amazon they're really expensive i mean this one is a hundred bucks and it's supposedly new or used but it's dracula sitting next to werewolf with red eyes and i mean these (laughs) it is a great to action figure i i i gotta say uh if i had the money to get this i don't know how big it is it might say in here uh oh it's seven seven inches of count dracula i i I just oh wow i'm looking at it right now that link that you sent me that thing is sweet well then if you not to get away from dracula but if you look down customers who bought this item also bought this there's a whole bunch. There's like Frankenstein with like a laboratory, uh, you know, uh, table in the background. There's the Wolfman standing next to a tomb. There's the creature from the Black Lagoon. Dude, there's the mummy. You I know what? Sweet. This is off topic, but there, <laughs> there's a freaking. I'm getting. I want to get this one. There's a Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets on their balcony. <laughs> it has the whole balcony. That thing, 68, 67 bucks for that the sucker. 67 but that bucks for that. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's, I was kind of shocked to even see some of these. They are well detailed. We'll put them in the show notes uh, so that you could take a look at some of those. There was also a, a link that I had found when I was doing my research um, from a, a website called the, I'll just, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, but it, I'll just spell it out. It's called the F W O O S H dot com, the th- and they whoosh. had a throwback Thursday of the haunted history of Dracula toys. Oh wow! You, you scroll through this thing, you could see all the various oh. you know, iterations, dude. And it has the ones we had, the yeah. werewolf. Yeah, I still and have I mean, it, so. I still have that mummy. I still have that Wolfman. That's a different Dracula than I have. That other little zombie that's near the between the mummy and the Dracula. I don't have that guy anymore. His eye broke out and dude, that Dracula is exactly the same as what we had. Oh yeah, there's that one the there. Picture. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I do, and I do still have that guy. Dang. Yeah. Wow, look you at go that. down, they have like a Dracu cycle. <laughs> if you, you look at some of these, they're cheesy. But it's it's so cool to see like you know how they they went from with their toys. You know, they, they literally went from, you know, these cheesy looking toys. Some of them were really neat back then, and then they went into the the one I just mentioned, you know, earlier on Amazon where it just it was unbelievable on on uh you know what these things look like now and i'm sure there's probably some other ones out there that are pretty nuts but yeah i 
definitely check that out. We'll put a link to the show note or in the show notes uh, about the haunted history of Jack Dracula toys because it's quite neat. Uh, another mm. thing I wanted to bring up, you know, I I had mentioned you know at the very beginning here, you know, the best Dracula. Um, but one thing that I wanted you know wanted to say about this, you have Bela Lugosi, you have Christopher Lee, Frank Langella, you have yeah. Uh, uh, why am I drawing a blank from House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula? Um, oh, uh, dang it! Uh, drawing a blank. I was going to say Carradine, David Carradine. But you also have Lon Chaney Jr. who played yeah. Son of Dracula. Yeah, yeah. So I also wanted to bring in, and probably nobody would ever. Oh, not you know, David Carradine. Sorry, I meant John Carradine. John Carradine, not David Carradine was his son. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, do you consider Nosferatu to be a Dracula character? Because I mean, he's that, a vampire, but he's not Dracula. So that's why I didn't you even go, bring that If you one go up. back, and I, I did not send you this link, but if you go back and look up, there's a story. We'll put this in the show notes. I'll, I'll send this to you right now, Mike. But there's a story about uh, how Nosferatu even came about. Apparently, the rights for um, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula was was good in the USA to where people can use it, but it wasn't at the time that I guess Nosferatu was was being made. And somehow, yeah, I heard there was a lawsuit of some sort. Yeah, he. He didn't. He wanted to call it Dracula. He wanted to tell the tale of Dracula in Nosferatu, but that he didn't do it, so he called it something different. And so, I think this Albin Graw guy, who's the film producer, um, I think he originally wanted to make it like a Dracula movie, but they didn't have the rights to do it. If I'm reading this article right, I could be reading it wrong, but, um. Check it out. It it's an interesting thing where it's Dracula versus Nosferatu, the a true copyright horror story is what um they wrote about here. So, yeah, we'll throw that in the show notes. And uh but to go back to the best Dracula, it's a toss-up for me. Bela Lugosi and Christopher Lee um it's a toss-up. I Bela Lugosi is always going to be in my heart, I think as being you know, like I said, the original, the guy who pretty much, I think, kind of laid the, the law of it down. Uh, but Christopher Lee did such a great job in in his rendition of, of Dracula that I, I can't I can't pass it up. And it's too hard for me to make a decision on either yeah, one I of them. I I can't remember which episode we talked about it, but I think I said what I'm going to say right now, which is... I didn't think any any actor would ever do Dracula as well as Bela Lugosi. He had the look. I liked the way he moved. It was still, but you know, it wasn't it wasn't quick or you know some like Frank Langella was great, but he moved a lot yeah, faster. Yeah, he was. He was more uh, charming, I think. Whereas Bela Lugosi was a little spookier, a little creepier. And that kind of goes against the charm thing that Dracula is supposed to have. But to me, that was that was it. 
And I had seen images of Christopher Lee, but it was like, nah. The thing is, I even have a a die cut like paper decoration of a Christopher Lee Dracula. And, and I also have a Bella Lugosi one, the ones we had when we were kids. And even then it was like, yeah, the, the Bella Lugosi one is better. But when I watched 1958's horror of Dracula with Christopher Lee, and he does move a lot faster. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know, there was something about the way Christopher Lee did it to where I was like, that's a cool Dracula. And so in this moment, and I think in the last episode that we did, or the episode we did where we talked about this before, I said Christopher Lee was my favorite. And I think for now, I'll probably say Christopher Lee, but that doesn't mean it'll change back to Bela Lugosi some other day. But definitely those two. There are a lot of really cool versions I will say I did not care much for the the Dracula in 2004's Van Helsing. Not nuts about him in uh, the uh, Monster Squad. Uh, you know Adam Sandler in the uh, in the Hotel Transylvania movies. Eh. Even the look of him, I'm not. Well, they were all entertaining. About. But when you yeah. when you go back and you compare it to to some of those people, I mean. I, I would probably, if I was going to do even going in order my top three, I, I would probably go, uh, without putting them in order, Bell Lugosi, Christopher Lee, and probably uh, Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah. would be my Lon favorite. Lon Chaney Jr. And like, like, I really liked the Frank Langella one. I really did. But yeah, my top three, would de- I would definitely include Lon Chaney Jr. He was super spooky. There was something about his eyes. Even Dad talked about it in our episode that we did with him on Halloween Memories. You know, He was saying when he saw that movie as a kid, his eyes freaked the heck out of him. And, it, yeah. and there, it's creepy. He, yeah, so he was definitely great. All right, well, was that all that you had, Tom? Yeah, that's everything that I had. <laughs> Cool. Okay, so movies, like I said, there's practically like a hundred entries in on the Wikipedia page yeah. at least on Dracula film or TV. The ones I'm gonna mention are uh, ones that I really enjoyed. So Dracula from 1931, that's the Bela Lugosi one. House of Frankenstein 1944, House of Dracula 1945, that's with John Carradine. Then you have Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein from 1948, that's with Bella again. You have Horror of Dracula from 1958 with Christopher Lee, and then he did a couple other Dracula movies. The 1979 version of Dracula with Frank Langella, then Bram Stoker's Dracula in 1992, which is a cool Dracula as well, but definitely not in my top. Um, You have the 2004 film Van Helsing, and then as I discussed previously, Dracula Untold from 2014. For TV, you have a great Dracula here in the Groovy Ghoulies 1970 to 1971, the cartoon. That cartoon was great. I love that dang thing. Uh, then you have uh, Dear Dracula, which which was animated uh, 2012, and I really like that Ray Liotta from Goodfellas fame. He did the voice, and uh, yeah, that was, that was a lot too. of fun. 
And then there's the new Netflix Dracula series that just came out. I have not seen it. I looked at the trailer. The imagery looks really cool. The mood looks cool. So it's definitely something I want to check out. And then this next one, it's not Dracula, but the current FX series, What We Do in the Shadows, based on the 2014 film of the same name, is really cool. It's kind of like a mockumentary of vampires living um, in the New York area. I forget where. Uh, Staten Island or something and it's it's done in a funny tone a comic tone but it's really cool a couple other cool things that I wanted to just bring up uh, jerseyninja.com has a bunch of jerseys on mythical creatures so they'll have things like Roswell aliens um, they have one called Transylvania vampires we're going to put that in the show notes it's pretty cool there's a game, a board game that we had as kids. We're going to link the uh, vintage commercial. It's like a 1980s or maybe it was 1979. I can't remember. But it's a game called I Vaunt to Bite Your Finger. And definitely check that out. That was a fun game I remember having when we were kids. Yeah, that was a neat one. It actually, there was a there was a, a piece when you, you put your finger in there and it bites it and it leaves the two little red marks on your finger. <laughs> yeah, there were like two little markers. Basically, you had to like move your piece and you had to, I can't remember where you're going or where you're coming from, but it's, you know, it's one of those games where you, maybe you roll a dice. I don't remember for sure. I think but it was you, you roll the, the dice bolt. and then if you land on something specifically, you know, you would have to put your you finger. Have to put your finger in his yeah, mouth. Yeah, the cape. Yeah. His cape would pop open. You put your finger in his mouth, and someone had to push down on the thing. And if it left two red marks, then you either died and were done with the game, or you had to go back to the beginning. But sometimes you push it down, and it doesn't leave the red marks, so you could continue. Yeah, it, I remember it being fun. It was a neat game. It's one of those things that I got for Christmas because Mom always knew I loved monster stuff. <laughs> yeah. So if you're in Transylvania and you're looking for Dracula, you've got to head into the Carpathian Mountains, as Tom was talking about earlier. As described in our book, the Carpathian Mountains are made up of massive icy ranges that span the entire region. In the middle sits Count Dracula's castle, which is where you're going to find Drac. This is one of the biggest palaces in the entire world, and nothing anywhere is more structurally detailed. Outside, there's always a mist in the air and clouds covering the area. Inside, the decor includes spiderweb, antique furniture and paintings, and lots of dust. In the Count's garage, where he keeps his numerous carriages, you'll find lots of pinups, mostly pictures of human necks. Daytime is very quiet. The night brings sounds from the distance that will chill you to the bone. Up close will be the sounds you make as you scream your vocal cords to shreds. But make sure you visit the castle. When you get there, according to our book, Drax Carriage Service, which is called Carpathian Transpo and Bat Guided Tours, will pick you up at the base of the mountains in the village Angri. While you're there, stop by the garlic pit for some garlic steaks and some wooden steaks too, which you're going to find are to die for. So, sure, vampires, as you know, hate garlic, but even neck, neck biters need something to get their blood pumping every now and then. So be sure to try the garlic-filled Dracula lasagna with garlic cheesecake, <laughs> the Frankenbride burger with cheese and garlic, 
a side of garlic frankenfries, and a mummy milkshake with garlic. Or you can check out the Phantom Fingers dipped in garlic sauce with the Garlic Lover's Wolfman Meringue Pie. So I just want to uh, offer thanks to Chef Tony Negretti for some of those winning recipes. So that's about it. Anything else, Tom, uh, before we call it a night? Nope. I, I think I had enough on this episode for, for a while. This one went <laughs> well, a little longer. it is our 50th. But it is our 50th. It's our 50th. So. So. Plus, you're talking about one of the one of the most iconic monsters of all time. So, I mean, we, we went a little over. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, that's going to do it for another Monster Monday. For more about the monster universe and the monster revolution that's upon us, or to become a monster revolutionary yourself, go to jackolanternpress.com and also check out our Facebook group, Monster Revolution, which we'll link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would definitely appreciate you going to uh, where you can vote or rate, sorry, rate the podcast and even leave us, leave us a review, which is a huge help, and we would greatly appreciate it. So we thank you for joining us, and we'll meet up again soon in the pumpkin patch. Oh. Uh.